Hey everybody, welcome to season two of the Mixmasters podcast. I'm your host, Steve Litcher, and for those not familiar, I'm the touring front of house engineer for Stitched Up Heart. Working with Stitched Up Heart has led me to meet an incredible number of really talented people, and I wanted to introduce you to them. I wanted to let you hear their stories and learn from their experiences. This is really your chance to listen in on behind the scenes talk and to learn from some of the best in the business. I have to give a huge shout out to my pal Merritt Goodwin for this killer intro music. Merritt is the lead guitarist for Stitched Up Heart, and he's also an extremely talented composer. Give him a follow on Facebook at Merritt Goodwin or on Instagram at Merritt Goodwin Official. Now let's bring up the faders and jump into this episode of Mixmasters Podcast. Welcome to episode 25 of Mixmasters, and thanks as always for listening and supporting the show. This episode features another roundtable where we talk about latency at front of house with Ashton Parsons, Brian Campbell, Drew Thornton, and Travis Wade. I should note that I was playing the role of devil's advocate through most of the podcast, and that really wasn't an easy task. Latency is so critically important to what we do as engineers, but it's often overlooked or misunderstood. So to learn more than you'd ever hope to know about latency and inducing manual delay and whatnot, check out Robert Scoville's The Lab discussions on YouTube. There are some intriguing ideas and examples that will go much deeper than we ever could on this one-hour podcast. So, okay, that's enough with the disclaimers and notes. Let's jump into episode 25 and talk latency. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Mixmasters Season 2. This is our second official roundtable. I say official because one of our roundtables got lost uh, when a computer crashed, but we won't talk about that. I am thrilled to be joined today by the usual cast of characters with one new addition. So joining me today is Ashton Parsons, Brian Campbell, Drew Thornton, and Travis Wade. And if you've listened to Season 1, you know all of these folks from one-on-one episodes, and I thought it would be great to get everybody together, uh, take advantage of their collective knowledge, and get their thoughts, experiences, and opinions on a subject that seems to be very hot lately, on the internet especially. I secretly blame Robert Scoville for bringing this to everybody's attention via one of his YouTube lab sessions, but uh, today we're going to talk about latency, and I... uh, to be honest, I didn't really pay much attention about to latency until I started trying to time align my own PA systems uh, with my small production company. And then I started paying attention when I got a Wave SoundGrid server and realized pretty quickly that when I send signal out of the board and to a, an external DSP of some sort, that latency becomes an issue. But I want to kick off the discussion by asking, does latency really matter uh, within a certain threshold? You know, because if we're talking, let's say that I've got a Wave SoundGrid server and it's running through my board. All of our boards that we use today are pretty fast. Drew, Travis, and I use the DLive system, which boasts uh, 0.7 milliseconds of internal latency for processing purposes. That's insanely fast. Uh, even like a Midas M32, for example, which is, you know, everybody knows what that is. That's under four milliseconds of latency. Uh, I think it's even lower than that. So if I'm talking four, five, six milliseconds of latency to send a signal out and have it processed, is there really any harm in that? It, that's less than you know a couple of feet of distance. So I just want to throw that out there. I, I'm sort of playing the devil's advocate here and uh, wanted to throw that out and get people talking. So uh, here, here's the bone. I'm pitching it, and you guys have at it. 
Well, for in ears, four to five milliseconds would matter a ton, you know, just, yeah. you know, from singing to even hitting a drum, that's absolutely noticeable um, and will 100% affect a performer's performance, like, especially with like pitch, for sure. Hearing, hearing your voice slightly late can absolutely screw something up. And even, even if you had like, say you were processing a guitar signal and had two mics and you were just processing the one and that introduced four to six milliseconds that's enough to create almost a Haas effect where you've if you collapse that down to mono it's gonna start to create a you know sort of a phasing sound anyway so yeah you know and we're all front we're all front of house engineers here right so we're not because that also depends on whether you, what ended the snake you're on. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah, whether you're going to use uh, external uh, plug-in processing and whatnot. Well, that's where I was going with that with Ashton in particular because he mixes monitors for some pretty huge acts like Disturb, for example. And you know, I don't know how much latency the Avid has, but if you're using any of the the plugins there, aren't you still dealing with some form of latency? Yeah, I think the I think the Avid runs at like 0.85 milliseconds last I knew, and then I am using the Wave server, but with that gigabit connection, it I think I'm maybe like a millisecond for some things, but I'm I'm using like low low impact stuff like the SSL e channel um and then like r comp and you know the effects based stuff is is i'm just using um waves doubler so all those things on their on the chart on their website are all like maybe like in this, at 96k like zero millisecond so it's just the round trip time um so i'm not i'm i haven't measured it to be honest with you but it's it's close enough that you know those guys would definitely notice if because they're they're all they all have studio stuff and they they expect not to hear things after they hit it so do would do you do you know uh what's your network buffer just out of curiosity is it the fastest setting in in waves generally is that where you I, yeah yeah i think it's that's what it's set up to i couldn't tell you off the top of my head it's been a long time since i've seen that show file unfortunately so sad yeah yeah we all feel that pain. Um, so, so <laughs> monitors aside, and and that does make sense. I I completely understand that. But standing at front of house mixing a show, when do you start to worry about latency? What what's the threshold? Are you are you going for zero latency because of, you know, phase issues that potentially get introduced? Or what are you guys' thoughts on on managing signal flow? I guess. I mean, well, I depend- just oh, yeah, go ahead, sorry. Drew. Go ahead. I was just going to say how loud your band is because yeah. Brian's band's probably louder than my band <laughs> <laughs> on stage, you know, there's stage volume. So. Well, what I was going to say is I just, I don't try to get too lost in it all. You know what I mean? Like I try to follow some basic rules, you know, like if I'm setting up things that are, is going to be double bust or anything that I'm just trying to keep like, like a guitar, you brought up guitar earlier you know, if I'm processing one guitar input, I'm going to process it the same. You know what I mean? And just trying to set up everything and keeping everything even. Um, uh, with Breaking Benjamin, the, the, the biggest challenge where I 
now I'm starting to hear even in arenas, some latency at front of house is um, the drummer, Sean uh, plays with uh, uh, kick trigger and snare trigger. So I am delaying all the microphones to match with the kick and snare. Well, mainly the snare trigger. And I'm talking overheads, toms, everything's all brought back to where, you know, in time with that snare transient. And uh, now when I walk up and I'm tuning the room and I walk up to, to the barricade area, like I can definitely hear when they're playing, you know, I can hear this acoustic snare on stage before I'm hearing it out in the crowd. Not so much standing back in front of house and stuff. But, uh, you know, it's, it's just now in the last couple of years been something that like I've, 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 and it's nothing I can do really besides get rid of the triggers. You know what I mean? Yeah. But, uh, I mean, as long as you're following, you know, basic rules, I think you're good, you know? Well, see, and that's like, you're doing the old school. Like that's what I feel like before this quarantine thing, I think we all do the same thing. Uh, and I feel like a lot of people don't talk about it, but it's like the profile days when you would do parallel compressing, you'd have to double double bus and then route the same plugins to time align via using the DSP that the plugins would induce, but maybe not use the plugin on one bus and use right. the plugin heavily on the other. Right. And that was always the argue and that the whole thing with the Scoville thing and the way it goes back and forth between the top guys. Some of those guys are doing some pretty elaborate routing. So if they were going to try to to completely tighten up the entire impulse response, as in an input when it hits the console, all out inputs leave the, the the desk at the same time. It would be nearly impossible because of the routing that they have going on in the desk and things like Digicode. They don't have delay compensation, which I also didn't know, uh, and that's why you can route a group to a group to a group to a group. And it can be flexible, but it's also like, okay, well, then there's a flip side. is like, if it sounds good, it is good, right? Mm -hmm. uh, and if you can be aware, obviously, these guys and all of us, I know that we've heard it too. We know what the sound is when our two, two uh, buses are not aligned. That's why we all got into use of, of like you said, Brian, the, the using what, the same processing on both guitar caps because you know it will be completely locked up and it's worth the dsp to have a completely in phase guitar um so i guess in that point with it within an instrument it's vital within the show maybe it's not um but that would be the argument that Ro robert scoville is is doing and and i did it in in my world i i spent the time did the spreadsheet calculated up all the latency within the desk whatever i was inducing within in the d live platform and then what the actual measurement between the just a round trip going in through waves and not being processed versus all the processing i and i went through every single channel and when i set up two scenes to to, to bypass and unbypass that processing the delays on all the input channels it was night and day um but like you said doing that i now know that the latency out of my desk is now seven milliseconds so is that something that one would want to do that's risk because if you have a, lo a loud band with guitar amps and a drummer without a shield you know i have no instruments on stage they're all digital right so you don't have that acoustic sound so usually you can't even hear it when you get close to the barricade seven milliseconds is is not a whole lot at front of house but uh it depends on the venue. Depends on how big the, the venue is. Yeah, it depends on the venue. But I've always come to like in my choice in desk. Whenever is if I can keep as much in the desk 
as possible without going out, I'm going to keep it in the desk just for that latency issue. Yeah. There's a whole reason for the longest time I mix on Midas was because I can keep everything in the disk and then the key things that I wanted to pull out and start using plugins on, I can pull it out and use those on without some desks where I feel like I have to overdo it and then really play that game to keep right. everything in phase without just losing everything in my mix. Cause there's been a few people I've locked up on and the mix is there, but it's like, it's really sucked away. It's really hollow. And then you look at their plugin rack when it pulls up and they've got eight channels of fucking plugins on <laughs> one fucking channel yeah. and not realizing that all of that adds extra latency into your thing. Yeah. I, I subscribe to the same thing. It's like, even though I'm running waves, I'm running it at the fastest buffer setting. I'm still running the rig at like 15%, you know, as far okay. as the waves go, like I am barely tickling waves, you know? Um, and I'm a Midas user as well. And it's, 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 it's just, you know, I try to keep as much in the desk as I can. Like, you know, if the comps sound great, I don't need to throw an SSL comp on it just because it's an SSL comp, (laughs) you know? Yeah. What, what makes me, and those are all really excellent experiences and, and great insight. And Drew, I can't wait to see the outcome of your work. I know you're putting together some (laughs) things that are coming hopefully soon, I'll Hopefully just sort of, soon. I'll, I'll tease it a little bit here. So anybody listening, uh, make sure you follow Drew online uh, so that you can be the one of the first to see what he's coming up with, but it, it should be super exciting. Yeah. But I'm, I don't want to name any names. Uh, so I'm, and I'm really <laughs> terrible about not watching my own personal filter. So I'm going to try to sterilize this as much as possible, but I have seen a handful of shows in, medium-sized venues, you know, 600 cap rooms, 800 cap rooms, where the front of house engineer is running waves and processing a fair amount of it directly through a laptop with no DSP. And it sounds fine. Like that's, there's probably 15 milliseconds of processing delay, maybe more. And that's, that's why I wanted to ask the question is I don't know, you know, I am as guilty as anybody I love statistics. I love numbers. I love looking at things on paper and on paper that rig should not work. It should be absolutely horrible, but yet it works. <laughs> so I don't, uh, I don't well, know if, if it sounds good, it is good, man. That I, I, you know, I, I, I also have to say too, like, I, I wish I was as, as like a, a big a brainiac as, as Scoville is. And I think he has a lot of valuable information in those first three episodes talking about manual delay compensation. Uh, and you have to, and you have to be diligent. You can't, you can't make mistakes if you want that, that kind of sound. But also if, if it does sound good, like, I don't think, I don't, I'm pretty sure Pooch isn't doing any manual delay compensation. You know, he's processing inputs, he's processing groups, uh, you know, and this is something too, I feel like I learned in this quarantine is like, there are only, there's one desk out there that actually, at that actually deals with latency at the input stage. And it's a Midas, the HD 96 and the pro series. Well, actually, no, I don't know about the pro series. I do then, I do know that the HD 96 has an option to adjust or, or delay the rest of your inputs to match those inserts, but it's all within their, their, your platform you can't leave that platform but um the pro series does as well oh yeah okay i i I did not know i i know that i've had i had a pro 2c but i didn't i at that point i wasn't thinking about you know delay compensation so but yeah i mean i 
if, if it sounds good, it is good, I suppose. I mean, you know, like it doesn't matter at the point, like, okay, it doesn't sound good. No one drinking a beer. Like, you know, I can't remember the last one we were like, if someone's drinking a beer and just watching. So like Eric, it was Eric that said that it's like, if they're having a great time and everything sounds great, who gives a shit, you know, like, <laughs> it's like, there's some truth to it for sure. I know, um, Travis, you have a lot of live cabinets on stage. Uh, Ashton, are you guys all modeling? Remind me for like disturbed or we are, we are half and half, but the, uh, the, um, uh, live cabinets are going through a Palmer analog Palmer DIs. Um, and then on animals, it was going to be, uh, Javier was stereo DI and then Tosin was, mic one mic and then um a channel from his um torpedo live so where so. i was going with that was and i know uh brian you guys are all on kempers and axe and all that fun axe stuff and axe, then yeah. yep and then drew is you know s similar situation i'm in that camp also but uh to what end do you stop worrying about delay compensation so for example if you've got a live guitar cabinet on stage are you delaying the pa to that that cabinet because the pa the hang is going to be 20 30 feet in front that's 20 milliseconds of you know if i'm using round numbers of math you know like we I all, typically try and align it to the snare oh uh, yeah and that was that's yeah and travis are you of the same camp or what, how, what's your approach there I try to align it to the snare, but I find with like the guitar cabs, there's a big jump when it comes to using sound reinforcement with a loud cab because you have all those size rooms where you can kind of even get into the 800 cap room where the cab really makes a difference out to the crowd. And you're not really as miking it through the PA as much as reinforcing what you got, especially in my case. My guys are screaming loud. Uh, but then when you get to start getting like the house of blues is those fucking 2,100 cat 2,000 not 2,100 2,000 and up <laughs> 2,000 and up capacity rooms you almost lose it when you finally start getting the full band and it's not as much of an issue and you're mixing the guitar sound with the PA as opposed to reinforcing it for the room uh, and that jump happens almost night and day there isn't like a steady climb to it so is I feel like it was such a big thing with bass like bass, having a loud bass player in a 500 cap room would just crush me. And I always felt like I was, I loved having bass loud because it just makes sense when you're a front of house guy, learning how to make bass loud and clean and work with the kick drum. That's the best part of it. Um, but just being able to take the bass, say the bass is like 10 feet down from the downstage edge, I would more often than not, just to line it up, I would delay the bass DI. I, you know, to match the cabinet in order to like some, you know, some together outside. So, and even when you do that in a small room, if you could walk it with your feet and try to get the, the, the actual feet distance from the edge, you can end up doing a lot less EQ in the low mid range. It, it kind of helps a lot, but it's also, you know, speculative at that point. So it depends on where you're standing to in the room because all those things make a huge difference. So I don't, I don't know whether, I don't know whether it's the answer or if it makes it better. If, if you try it and it makes it better, I guess that's the, the thing you do that night. But I don't know whether there's like a, a for sure approach to it. I mean, I don't know whether you there guys isn't. the same way, but. 
I also feel like it's a battle of keeping your artists happy, especially when it has, oh, yeah. comes to stage volume. Uh, because when they get to those bigger stages, I at least know mine like to turn it up a little bit more and being able to find that happy medium uh, to where they can turn it up and not ruin your day out front completely <laughs> is a, an important battle. And uh, I know with the artists that have switched over to like Kempers and Axe Effects, they don't really do that as much anymore. I mean, half the time they don't even switch their sounds and their effects. They just play their guitar and it, the computer does it for them. Uh, and it's nice to have that consistency, uh, but having that little bit of extra umph of a real amp, and especially in some of those smaller rooms where, I mean, I, I did a show with Suicidal like a year ago where we played a room and the back wall was 10 feet away from the PA. And so I put vocal in it. I was like, this is the first time I've done this in I think 10 years where I only put vocal in the PA. <laughs> Not even kick drum. Not even kick drum. <laughs> I mean, well, coming Dave off the wedges, probably 24 inch <laughs> fucking kick drum tannins with zero pillows in them. And I mean, he played oh, in Slayer. He still yeah. slams his drums and I had nothing. I had like vocals in there and I actually put a production hand on each side, holding the PA up still because it was a suicidal show. <laughs> That's awesome. Oh, the good awesome. old days. What, what we wouldn't give for that uh, scenario. I think all of us would happily jump into that front of house seat just to, just Give me pushing. a goddamn mix, wizard. Let's go. <laughs> I had an iPad, and I legitimately stood in the circle pit. And at one point, they circle pitted around me, and Mike called for it just because he thought it was hilarious. That's awesome. And they're fighting like old drunk punks off while I'm mixing. It was actually probably one of my favorite shows I've done. <laughs> nice. Dude, I, I had a similar experience at the, the Mesa Theater in Mesa, Arizona. It's like two electro voice boxes aside in a space that needs at least like six aside minimum and the the yamaha m7 is like 400 feet away from the stage on the back wall so the last time i was there was like 2014 and so i had my ipad and got that hooked up and i literally i stood like 15 feet from the stage and i was mixing attila and we uh and so it was like same thing, circle pit around me, and I had a security guard <laughs> next to me, and I'm just standing there with the iPad. I'm like, sounds all right right around here. This is okay. And then, yeah, Franz is like, you see that guy with the iPad out there? Fucking circle pit! <laughs> so good. Typical Franz. I'm surprised he didn't tell people to pick you up and crowd surf you to the stage to, like, high-five you. He told me he told me he thought about it. He was like, I want to... <laughs> I wanted them to do something to you, but I knew you wouldn't like it. And I'm like, you're right. I would have muted your ass. You lose your iPad and you mute the entire mix. <laughs> exactly. Excuse me? You want to do what now? Yeah. So speaking of like Circle Pit and being crowd passed to take a temporary diversion um, with uh, Stitch Up Heart last year, Mixie, the lead singer, got body passed through the crowd. She, she likes to do that on a couple of the songs. And one of our uh, P10... Uh, in-ear packs fell off of her belt Shit. <laughs> and so she gets back she finishes the song without her ears and then she gets up on the stage and she's like i'm really afraid to say this on the microphone because our sound guy is going to kill me but did anybody happen to find a little black thing about the size of a deck of cards with two antennas on it and i was like oh you've got to be kidding me and somebody found it and they passed it up to the stage and it was in one piece it wasn't Good. you know stomped on which was amazing it survived Oh God! But yeah, anytime. <laughs> it's like this great photo of um, Travis Scott 
was at the at his festival last year and he dropped his mic over the crowd while he was on this like this crane thing that he has and there's a photo of his production manager climbing up the truss to <laughs> hand him the spare mic but i uh, went to watch the video of it and like it's the, the axion stick with like probably i think just a 58 cap on it and the kid has it and starts fucking screaming into the mic and ryan cecil in the comments was like yeah i didn't know whether to mute him or not yet because we hadn't switched the mic and they never got the mic back either somebody went home with like a 1200 hundred dollar microphone <laughs> oh why couldn't it have been me <laughs> oh. so hey brian i wanted to jump back to i know you're not a monitor engineer necessarily but how does sean deal with that latency in his ears like his trigger like when his foot you know hits the kick most drum systems are, you know, eight, 10 milliseconds of latency. Do you know, are they doing any sort of additional compensation? He, he doesn't use um, kick and snare in his, oh. uh, the trigger in, in his ears. Um, it's just for front uh, of house reinforcement. Yeah. I mean, I started off mixing monitors with breaking when I first started working with them. And uh, a couple of the guys prefer the consistency of the triggered kick and snare. Um, but it doesn't really mess with them. You know what I mean? It's, it's not something they're they're Again, they're just wanting the kick trigger and not the microphones that go with it. So there's, there's nothing that's, 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 there's nothing fighting them. Yeah. Yeah. My, my experience is the same. Cause my mic with disturbed is using um, trigger system and it measures out at five milliseconds between the 91 and the, the and the trigger system. Um, you guys are using the Pearl, right? We are. We're we're doing it in sort of a weird way. It's like the triggers hit one of those old red D drum boxes, and then it midis out into the Pearl Mimic Pro, um, because the Mimic, or at least the one we had, we just couldn't get it dialed in right in terms of the getting the trigger to to trigger properly. So we had a system that did work. And then so Nick, our drum tech and playback guy, set it up where the MIDI note sent out on the through of the the D drum would trigger the sound from the the mimic. And it yeah, it's only about five milliseconds. Um and I'm not doing any external processing on that. That's just the internal EQ. So this is speaking of latency, this is the conundrum I've had ever since uh, working for it breaking is um, we are using the same mimic pro or whatever it's called that Pearl puts out. And um, I'm getting more like eight milliseconds of delay out of it. Yeah. That's what you were saying. Um, and, and, and that's why I was saying sample. earlier, well, we've gone and used the stock samples. I've cut samples yeah. in, um, you know, using, uh, you know, uh, get good drums and you know making my own samples with it and uh you know it's still it's it's an eight second trip from the from the impact or eight millisecond trip from the impact to where i'm actually picking it up at front of house and it's it's measuring the same even like well a little bit quicker at, at monitor world but it's still like it's still right around that you know what i mean it's crazy yeah so i don't know i've been like looking into other even like they have to have, they, ha they have to have something faster than that, right? I mean, I we we don't really we have just uh, the creative 
you know, triggers like the, the sounds that are definitively different, like the big reverb kick and the, the trap snare kind of sounds is like only in one, like one or two songs. And, uh, I mean, I mean, I haven't noticed a terrible amount of latency, but he's also using like, um, I'm trying to remember it was like a, one of the T2 or Roland TT. So is he using an acoustic kit? In yeah. conjunction, he's okay. got a, a acoustic kit with uh, triggers, and uh, yeah, I mean, I haven't noticed. I should go in. I'm, I'll try to go into the multi track and see what the distance is between like the the snare, you know, because the snare would be a good good way. Yeah, to that's find it. five yeah. milliseconds. I mean, I'm like I said, it's like five. I think I'm at like seven and a half, and that's two trips round trip into waves, and not at the the highest or the lowest buffer setting. Because I'm also seeing spikes yeah. in super rack, so I'm trying to keep my spikes around 50. If I move it up one notch, I usually end up or going to zero or like the 0.7 millisecond setting. Mm-hmm. I think I get like spikes around 75%. I don't know whether that's a software issue or something with super rack because it's new. Yeah, it I could also have some issues with the the RTA. I am run, running one F6 RTA. Um, yeah, I had issues with F6. Yeah. Uh, F6, I was using on snare top for a, a hot second because the um, frequency of the overtone would move over the course of the show because my guy just hit so hard. And yeah. so I was using that to sort of just track the range of it. And yeah. I had, I had, and I, I'm only running my extreme server into the SXL at like 12, 15%. And I had a show in Albuquerque, must have been like a, you know, Native American burial ground or something this place was built on because we all had issues that night, but I, I, it shit the bed and I had to restart the desk and, and I was like, what if I changed F6? So I got rid of all instances of F6 and never had an issue again. And then I was reading that F6 is a troublemaker um, I was starting when we were doing rehearsal for the Animals as Leaders tour that Travis and I were going to be on in March. I was running Super Rack through the band's M32 because that's what they wanted me to mix on. And so I got the, the Waves card and, and all that and had Super Rack set up. And I had F6 on the guitars because it's, you know, Animals is like an eight-string guitar, thumpy kind of down-tuned band, so to keep things in check. And uh, we did probably all told about eight hours worth of playing, and those eight hours, everything ran okay. I think I was running, I had just an impact server, and I was running that at about 35%. Yeah. You You know what's strange I just I cheated and I went out to Waves website, but they claim that F6 is zero samples of latency, all the way down to 44 kilohertz. Which, yeah, it, it's so strange. You know, like they're they're the manufacturer is saying there's zero latency, zero. Well, there's a lot. I mean, I, all the plugins that I'm using on Billy, and that's the reason why I'm using that plugin. I have an automated, only like, on the groups. I have like an automated, because of course. 
the the new show she's out in front of the pa on a catwalk uh, literally going all the way up in front of the the pa like the top boxes it's 70 feet wide so she could walk nightmare. in front so and then there's a b stage so i have i set up automated uh f6 rtas so it would be a real quick thing for me to pull up and just dive you know like just in case something was going off and yeah they when i was talking to waves about it originally i was using the rta and i just swapped them out for regular only in the places that i needed the rta which was where she was out in front of the pa um and i just had that just so it was a quick easy way to to have you, you tried know, using it. the have you did you try using the x feedback or whatever program they came out with <laughs> i'm using currently uh i was using pse and it fed into a, uh the x feedback and then uh, this year i am trying i well in quarantine i was actually playing with the ability of using wns to suck the room out but uh before the wns i'm going to put the psc wns and then feed that into an x feedback group and i usually you know i usually ring out the pa when when whenever she's on stage cuz it's the amount of right. and i'm i'm not even able to run super loud but yeah those kinds of things like the funny thing you bring that up steve is like all those plugins that i'm using on her her i'm using more plugins on her and she's the only only input channel that i have any plugins on it's only on like the drum groups and that's it. You know what I mean? Like drum groups and her vocals. And that's the only thing that I have and my left, right. But uh, yeah, I have, I have like six or eight plugins probably divided between the input channel stage and the group channel. And none of them induce any latency. It's zero. The path is only as long as the round trip it takes to go in and out of waves twice. So... It's yeah. kind of interesting to think how efficient the plugins became. It's yeah. just the process of getting in and out, you know. Yeah. Well, you then, weren't here for the microphone fun. What do you have on her for a micro for mics uh, for singing it? I mean, uh, I've shot out like almost seven or eight, maybe almost ten capsules, and I'm still on the V7. I'm using the SC V7, a dynamic a super mic. cardioid. It's a great mic. I it's my I new. I need phase. to get my hands on it. It's so and it's so cheap. Like the, yeah. the wireless cap is like 120 bucks. Yeah. It just came out with a Sennheiser version. The handheld is a hundred bucks. It's like, forget about it. And they're super, they're a super great company. You start, yeah, they are. you know, Tony is the man. Yeah. Tony's great. Travis, so, I can send you, if you, uh, if you want, I'll send you a couple to play around with. If you've got something to work with them on. I'll, I've, uh, I can't talk about it on the podcast, but I've got projects coming up. So oh. <laughs> I would appreciate be it. Nice. <laughs> yeah. So I guess, uh, you know, going Thank back, you. yeah, my pleasure. Uh, going back to the latency uh, discussion, is is ignorance somewhat bliss? You know, like if it's not biting us, do we lose sleep over it just because we think we should lose sleep over it? Or, you know, and then my other question was for like a quiet singer, and I, I, I'm actually surprised that the conversation came around that way uh, because uh, Mixie is a very quiet singer, uh, you know, and Billy's obviously a, a quiet singer, but the drum, I get so much drum bleed in her vocal mic. And then I sit up at night and I'm like, gosh, now should I delay the drum mic so that, or the, the vocal mic so that the, the bleed that's coming through there. Cause I can't get rid of all of it, no matter how many, you know, tools I'm using, you know, at, at what point this begs back to the original question, at what point do we not have to worry about it? Well, here, I want to share this because this is a really interesting idea that I had. Um, 
I have not tried it, but like you, I, I have a lot of restless nights trying to figure out how to do this. And every, every single cycle, I feel like I gained something, but it's a matter of like, like I said, always a, a, a series of, you know, a series of small moves, but uh, I had this crazy idea of actually having like, cause we have a robo track line of setting up a robo vocal. Right. And I mean, it's not anything crazy, but like, using a recording from a show, right? Using a ro robo vocal, taking it in, stripping the noise from it, and then using that to key like certain uh. things like, yes, using that to key certain things like the WNS plugin, the PSC, using those kinds of things. Now, granted, I'm lucky because I know every time Billy says anything, she screams on the mic. So it's never an issue of her not being able to blow through processing. but I mean, obviously, if it's keyed, it might be a problem, but that would be the one issue, you know. And obviously, if she went off of script, which she's generally pretty on it, but I was thinking that could be an interesting way of trying to to gate out that, yeah. that noise. Yeah, side chaining <laughs> so, that vocal in. Yeah, yeah. That that interesting. That's I don't know fun. whether it'll work, but uh, yeah. Well, I mean. I, I am not responsible for anyone that loses their job doing that, <laughs> but, <laughs> but I'll be the first one to give it a shot. Cause I, I mean, anything to help, you know what I mean? Like to me, I, I thought that would be an interesting idea. Um, yeah. But uh, Steve, honestly, drum bleed. It's, you know, here's what I will say coming from my position. I feel like my thing has always been, do not, do not listen to the drums without the vocal mic in the center downstage center position. I don't do it. I don't waste time because I don't care what, how good I think things sound. As soon as I put a vocal mic up, it's going to blow my shit out. So I always, before we start, I always take them. I'll I have the, the tech, bring it out, drop it downstage center where she's going to be. And I'll bring down her fader, probably like six DB and I'll check it there, but I will not, I will not mess with hearing the drums without the vocal because it's all part of it. You know what I mean? And that's one of the things that I thought was interesting too. I'm interested to manually delay my show. So the impulse response of the show, every single input leaves it at the same time. I'm curious to see how much that helps with gain before feedback as well. Um, I'm assuming that it will, I don't know for sure. Um, but I think it will help. Um, and, you know, I, honestly, too, even small venues, I used to do that with quiet singers purposely. I would delay them five milliseconds. For some reason, I felt like, oh, yeah, that'll give me a little bit more headroom. And I don't know whether it's just my brain playing tricks on me or whatever. But, you know, that's why I before that, I was like, oh, well, I'm inducing like maybe two or three milliseconds with her vocal. You know, that's through waves. So what? Like I used to do that purposely, you know, um, but I don't know. We'll see. We'll see what happens. Other than that, I. Good luck, buddy. Yeah. <laughs> drum shield. <laughs> Get used to a drum shield. I uh, uh, when I had my production company, I used the shy baffles. Have any of you guys ever used those shy baffles? The the cylindrical. They just go. Directly. We started. We started there. Um, yeah. She didn't like the cage thing, and uh, before, when I came on, she didn't want anything in front of it, and it was a slow, gradual process. I got the shy baffles in. We let that ride for a tour. And then a tour, and then all of a sudden, bam! I did it. Did a whole <laughs> shield thing when we had like a video floor and three big, huge, you know, panels of video, and she had other things to worry about, and she hasn't said anything about it. So nice. as long as it looks good, so easier to ask for forgiveness than permission sometimes. 
I mean, it, did the it's ma- very helpful. It sucks. You did it like a magician, so... just redirect. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. But it's it does make it harder to make your drum sound good, man. I I miss that that there's something about that shield. It does something in the top end, the tack. You know, the the drums don't feel like they breathe the same way. Yeah. But um I I feel like I've either got used to it or I figured a, a way through it. But uh I I feel like right now I'm like I'm I'm okay with it. I'd rather have it than not have it. Right. Hey fellas, I have to bow out, unfortunately. Again. Second but, second podcast yeah, in a row. The, I know, I know, but the food is ready and I yeah. I must must eat. Um <laughs> next time I promise I will plan better for sure. <laughs> Fellas, it was good talking to you all. Likewise. Drew, nice meeting you officially. Likewise. Yep. Talk soon. Thanks, Ashton. Enjoy dinner. Later. We'll give Ashton a second to pop off. There he goes. All right. And I'll repeat myself from the other podcast. And then there was three or four, if I'm counted as part of the round table. So, uh, so you Drew, you brought up an interesting uh, point about your sound check. Brian or Travis, do you guys have any tricks that you do during sound check? Like something that you always make sure... You know, like Drew likes to have Billy's vocal mic downstage, and I think that's a great idea. I'm gonna I'm gonna do that for sure with Mixie uh, once we get back to hitting the road. But what do you, do you guys have any tricks up your sleeve or anything that you like to do to to help shape your sound check appropriately? Uh, uh, go ahead. <laughs> oh, Zoom. <laughs> Thank you, Zoom. <laughs> I put the vocal mic down on stage as well. Can keep it up because that M80 is pretty hot and it's a big difference not having it there. But I'm very fortunate with a band that likes to come out and check every day. Like there, there really isn't a day that they don't come out. So I get to kind of play with things and they're really consistent with like how they sound check is how they perform. Uh, it, like unless it was just a night the night before, which they don't really have anymore uh they come out and they're playing super consistently and i don't have to do a uh, lot of kind of like judging or guessing once i got my sound check i only really have to adjust to the room of people after brian yeah i mean we don't we don't sound check um it's just all line check um but uh, same as drew it, it's it's something that i i have to listen to in context but again, the other 90% of my sound check or line check, which probably is the same as Drew's, is just checking in and reconfirming the stability of that microphone for that particular venue and that show. You know, that's a majority of my time is spent walking the microphone from any point that, you know, the artist is going to be with it, you know, and that includes like, uh, luckily he's not up by the top boxes. If there's a way he could get up there, I'm sure he would be though, but front fills i mean even do you guys play whack-a-mole with your front fills with her drew (laughs) like she she walks in front of it and you just cut uh, that front fill out and (laughs) yeah yeah i mean well and it's funny too because at this point she'll like lay down on the front fill and every time the the feed if feedback happens she kind of just laughs at this point because she knows it's her fault she she like she's like laughing because it's like oh it's it is what it is like it but i'm like oh no i the worst thing happened in my life. <laughs> you know? See, I, I take it personally too, man. And Ben's yeah. cool about it as well. Like he's so, he's so chill about it. Like uh, 
one time I, I, I saw him after the show and he was out in the crowd. He always goes out in the crowd and I'd had some, definitely had some major issues that night with feedback. And he was like, ah, oh, dude, man, don't worry about it. Yeah. You know what? If I'm on the right side of the arena, just pan me to the left. And I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> like, what? Uh, uh, okay. I've been, avoid, I've been trying to avoid doing that, but uh, I think that's how I've been trying to deal with the catwalk situation. There's, I'm usually fine with the the loud songs. It's like the quiet numbers when she goes out yeah. there for the quiet numbers. And I was just, and I like the last show, I was just like panning one side to another just to dodge it. But yeah, uh, it's just like, you just hate to do something that noticeable or that drastic. Yeah. I mean, but we do, we sit there and play whack-a-mole with the, with the front fills. If it's our show and my SE, then, you know, like we're, I've literally got it to where each one of those can be on faders on, uh, you know, in control. And they'll, as I've got the security guy walks out there with a big beacon light, like following Ben around <laughs> and we just follow the beacon. And as he's walking in front of that front fill or even like the front hangs or side hangs, like those bottom boxes are all set up too. So where we can, if he walks in front of that, we can just bring that down, you know, and then it's just not ruining like the audio for, you know, everyone else in the back. It's just those, you know, that, that area that those lower boxes would cover, you know, the immediate but, surroundings. Yeah. All right. Well, I think we have probably exhausted the uh, latency discussion, at least at this level. Does anybody have any parting thoughts or theories? Or I'm just curious, is any anyone else interested in the manual delay compensation Scoble thing? Have, are you guys are you guys planning on trying it or? I uh, I'll jump in. <laughs> I've got my smart rig sitting behind me, and I've been playing around with it. Um, you know, and I'm not seeing as much. Uh, latency as you're seeing, but I'm also running far fewer plugins and running them at the fastest setting. And I'm not going through a switch or anything like that. Uh, so I'm, I'm seeing about three seconds round trip, three milliseconds round trip. I, three seconds would be awful. Yeah. <laughs> yeah that I've, would be a problem. <laughs> I'll have to go watch that episode that he's talking about all the latency yeah. because I've heard people talk about it but I haven't checked out the episode yet. So I can't really say really one way or the other. Lot. There's yeah. a lot in there. Which episode is, which episode is it? I feel like he covers it in the first three, right? The first three labs and each lab is almost two hours long. Yeah. I mean, I started watching the first one, but it was him getting everything together. Yeah. You know, and I kind of got lost yeah. in, in all that. And then I was yeah. just, I haven't, I haven't gone back and really checked them out. It's about yeah. 30 minutes of him sorting out all the different views and holy cast does he have a setup. So I totally sympathize with trying to figure all of that out. <laughs> Very impressive. And then the, the wave or the zoom participants are also having issues, you know, with their audio and video and all that fun stuff. But once yeah, they get that's that, where I kind of got lost <laughs> is they're like explaining to him how to use zoom. And I'm just like, all right. Yeah. Once you get through there, then it, it becomes pretty mind blowing pretty fast. And, yeah. you know, I just sort of like looked at myself after that and my universe was turned upside down. So a lot of sleepless well, I nights. Feel, I feel like the, the biggest thing is, is what is it? Does it add anything? Um, for me, I'm also like a part of me is also trying to see if this gets me more gain before feedback. That's more of an important thing to me. And if I can, if I can make that better in any way, I will venture down that hole, whether it's a, a good hole or a bad hole. I, you know, I, I'll try it because 
you know, if I could make it better, I think that's all, all of us are the same. I'm sure. Is that what he's touching on through that? Well, like just he, his theory is like, you're talking about in, you know, when you induce waves, um, or inserts on inputs, you're creating, um, delay and whether it's, you know, whether it's still in phase with itself, that's not the point. He's talking about every single piece of that puzzle is delaying every single thing. You know, like if you just process your drums, now your drums are going to be behind everything, right? Uh, and then you send, say, your guitars through another different waves thing. And it's like all these all these pieces are all ending in this different places. And his whole thing was, okay, well, the reason why analog sounded so good is there was no latency, like an input hit in. And like, as soon as all inputs came in, they all came left the desk at the same exact, you know, time, thus creating a way more uniform, tight impulse response. Um, and to me, I thought it was very fascinating, but I didn't get into it until I actually heard the difference. And uh, luckily I have a little tiny D live over here. So I was just, you know, playing around with it. And I, I heard a lot of difference in the low end, which is a very important part of my show. Uh, so, and I'm curious to see what that does with the, you know, feed. If it, if it makes it worse, I'll let you guys know. I think it'll probably improve gain before feedback, but um, you know, I'm curious. It is a lot of work though. You know, like if you're going to use waves in any capacity, it makes, it makes you have to plan things out and have to have time to induce all that delay at the input stage. Um, but he's also arguing is like, okay, well, you induce the delay at the input stage. You are now time aligning all of your effects as well, because now your inputs, because all your effects sends are post your delay, you know, depending on the console or whatever your preferences, that would actually be time aligning your effects with the entire mix. So that way, when your inputs are all hitting the desk and thus leaving the desk at the same time, it could change things. And I, I did hear a huge difference. I, I'm going to dive into it deeper, but, um, yeah, I, I sent a clip to a couple other engineers just to see if I wasn't crazy. And it does make a huge difference. Even in the reverb of the snare, the bottom, it just, things change. So it depends, I guess you just have to try it and see if it makes a difference, but you need tools to do that. You need a desk, you need time, you need a spreadsheet, you need to go through all that. It's like so much work. So it's almost easier. Just use a Midas or use a D live. You know what I mean? Like, just stay in the box, stay inside the console. It might be the easiest way. Just bury your head in the sand and not worry or about it. Or do that. <laughs> or just mix like a badass and not worry about it. <laughs> you know, maybe paying attention to your latency helps control some of that low end. And that's something that all of us have to deal with in, you know, larger arena, big club shows, you know, low end gets away from us pretty quickly. So I wonder if that plays a, a role in it. Yeah. I mean, having a tight low end is great everywhere. I mean, it's, it's I'll, I'll avoid a joke. Yeah. Oh yeah. Sorry. <laughs> I, I served that. Up. Yeah. That was a softball drew. I, <laughs> I, just, I had to take yeah. a swing at that one. Cause it was just like coming in, you know, perfect, uh, perfect, perfect velocity. So question for you, Drew real quick, and then I'll let it, I'll let everybody go here, but are you, so when you're playing around with introducing delay on your input stage, are you doing that through the D live delay, or are you doing that? Are you running everything through super rack and delaying everything or how are you, how are you doing that? Well, uh, so all the delays, all the manual delay compensation is happening at the channel. So like any input channel, like that needs to be delayed is delayed there. I'm also time aligning. I mean, I still, I'm a creature of habit, both my drum groups, my drum, drum bus and my drum parallel bus 
both have the same plugins except for one is like not in bypass but it's like you know it's bypass but not out of the chain right and there's a latency group there um and then I created a double in order to do this. I ran one channel directly from my input, like the signal generator from my input straight to my left, right. And I, I panned them. So like whatever I was testing would be on the right uh, or whatever. It doesn't matter. But like in, Le in, in uh, smart, just a two channel RTA. And I would like physically delay it within the, the point where the, uh, the impulse response would be completely flat. The phase trace would be flat. So that way... I knew, you know what I mean? Like, but you have to go through, you have to bypass it, but not uninstantiate it. So it's creating the delay, but not the process because all of that can also mess with the phase. So the idea, it's a pretty daunting task. And that's why I think it's important. You'd have to have time and, and you have to know how you're going to mix your show. So how many people, you know, can do that? You know, I've been on this gig for almost two years now. So it's like, you know, I kind of know where I'm going and I'm not going to go crazy. And I got a lot of options inside the D live. So it's not too worried about it. Yeah. I think if, if you're in a throw and go situation, you know, mixing a, yeah. a one-off, you'd never be able to do it. You just yeah. sort of play the cards yeah. you're dealt. It'll be a mess. How, how, in, how involved like, or how um, intense is your latency groups and waves? Um, what do you mean by samples? Well, like, are you setting up the groups like so all your drums are on, on the same latency uh, group and all your vocal stuff is on the same latency group, effects are on the same latency group, or are you just having it delay to the um, to itself? You know what I mean? Like, yeah. you know how you well, set... So I only have one latency group and it's set up for the drums because all the drums go into waves, you know, that's mm -hmm. inevitable, but they go through the group. I don't do any inputs, you know, input processing on, on anything, but the vocals. And I'm not messing yeah. with that either because I don't have to, you know, line up a vocal with another vocal. It's just her, you know, four different mics she's being, she'll be using. Um, right. And I had the latency groups in, so they would align within themselves but I also tested it with that in too to make sure that the latency that was being displayed in Waves was actually what was happening. But yeah. the funny thing is, Waves doesn't report the I.O. Because I think the I.O. can be different depending on what kind of transport. They have a rough, like they put it, they call it like 0.7 or something, but it's really not. You have to measure it and go through it and make sure by sample, you know what I mean? Like it's on because we've all, we know like, there's something wrong in the top end when you're like just a couple samples off, you're just like, this sounds weird. So yeah, I mean, it's, it's a pretty involved thing. It's not a small task. And I had a lot of time. I still have a lot of time on my hands. So <laughs> I kind of, I kind of went down the rabbit hole and it was pretty, pretty, pretty crazy. Uh, I thought it was pretty interesting. I, I, you know, I think it's, I think it's a cool topic. Uh, and I hope to elaborate on that further via a YouTube thing. So well, no. Well, who knows? You'd best be wearing a lab coat because that's oh. uh, it's pretty scientific. So, <laughs> Joe, hello, baby. Joe, hello. Does anyone know Joe? No, nobody knows Joe. Oh, Joe, hello. He mixes Post Malone. Nice. <laughs> he wears a lab coat. That's what. Oh, that's that. fantastic. Does he? Yeah, that's badass. Yeah, yeah. All right. Yeah. All right. I'll wear a dunce hat uh, when I'm mixing stitch up hard. That'll be appropriate. <laughs> I'm fine with that too. <laughs> with me wearing a dunce hat. No, no, I'm, I'll wear it. <laughs> I, uh, I teed that one up for you too. So thanks. <laughs>
Mix Masters branded dunce caps coming to a store near you. Yeah, that'll yeah. be the first line of merch that I introduce. Perfect. Tra- <laughs> and now I'll, I'll owe Travis a, a royalty because it's technically his idea. Well, I'll buy it. <laughs> one, one sale. All right. Well, I think uh, I think we talked a, about latency. I definitely appreciated your guys' uh, inputs and experiences. Hopefully, everybody got a little something out of this, and now you'll all be sleepless like I am at night, sitting there thinking like, oh, three milliseconds of delay if I delayed the vocals, blah, blah, blah. But yeah. uh, it's an interesting <laughs> subject, and I wanted to, to explore it with you guys, so I really appreciate you guys joining again, as always. So let's uh, put a bow on this one. We'll call it good, and we'll do another roundtable in the near future with another fun subject. So for everybody that joined today, Ashton, Brian, Drew, Travis, uh, thank you guys for joining. I really appreciate it. Thanks for having me, dude. And uh, we will talk to everybody soon. And that's a wrap on this episode of Mixmasters. I hope you enjoyed the show, and if you did, please be sure to subscribe and then tell a friend. Or maybe leave a review on Apple Podcasts. I'd certainly appreciate it. I produce Mixmasters on the Allen & Heath DLive system with Sure microphones and a little help from Apple's Logic Pro X and some Waves SoundGrid plugins. One more round of thanks to Merritt Goodwin for the music. And until next time, stay safe and healthy, and thanks again for listening.